And we are live. Good afternoon for most of you, I believe. If you are one of the panelists, please raise your hand so that I can bring you to stage. David Doro, Michelle, great. It is amazing to see you. We have already a nice room filled, 26 listening right now. This is going to be great. Now, what we can do to get even more people into the room is the following. In the top right corner, you see three dots. You're going to click those three dots. The right term for that, by the way, is ellipsis, if you care to know. <laughs> you click the ellipsis, and then uh, you're going to see the event details. And what would be amazing is if you could share that to your LinkedIn feed, you can also send it directly to someone you think will enjoy this amazing room. This conversation today is recorded. It will be available as a podcast as well. And um, so that way you know that uh, you with a feature speech by our guest speaker, Chris Deacon, and then uh, our panelists will react to it. Towards the end, you can also come to stage and ask your questions or give, give just general reactions and feedback. Um, at that point, uh, you would have to find the little um, button that is a raise your hand button. And that indicates to me that you want to speak and I will bring you up at that point. For now, let's try and see if we can use the reaction button. Uh, please use the reaction button and give me a heart. Let's show some love in this room to uh, encourage our speakers here. Ah, look at all that color. Great, 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 amazing. Okay, so. Let me get uh, to our feature speaker. Welcome uh, to our LinkedIn audio event on healthcare consumerism. Today, we are delighted to have with us Chris Deacon, founder and principal of Versan Consulting. Chris is a healthcare policy expert with extensive experience in healthcare policy and management. As the former director of the State of New Jersey Health Plan, Chris has worked on several initiatives aimed at improving the quality and affordability of healthcare. Chris has a deep understanding of the healthcare industry and is committed to promoting innovative solutions that improve the quality and affordability of healthcare for all stakeholders. With Versan Consulting, Chris is now focused on helping employers become more prudent purchasers of healthcare. Today, Chris will share insights on healthcare consum consumerism and its impact on the industry. We hope you'll enjoy this engaging conversation and have the opportunity to learn from our expert panelists. At this point, Chris, the virtual floor is yours. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for having me on uh, this great platform. I'm really excited. It's my first LinkedIn event. 
Um, so hopefully I don't botch it and uh, we get plenty of time to go to our experts uh, on the panel. So I'll jump right in. Um, first, just a, a little bit more background. I'm actually an attorney by training and came to healthcare somewhat later in my career. Um, but I really attribute that outside perspective with, um, with what made me successful in my, my job in, in healthcare and running the, the health plan and what I currently do. Because I think when you come at this from any other industry um, that has some you know, sort of rationality <laughs> in it, uh, you see exactly how uh, you know, sort of screwed up the system um, can appear from the outside. And when you tend to be in it for so long, um, you become immune to those things. So just add that, that little background. So let's jump right in. Um, I wanted to start by uh, giving two quotes from two fairly well-known um, doctors, really two opposing sides to what healthcare consumerism is. You know, I didn't want to come at this uh, with sort of my definition of what healthcare consumerism is, because I think healthcare consumerism is something that is still very much something that we're working on defining so that we can uh, make sure it plays the right role and a productive role in the healthcare of the future. So the first is um, by Dr. Paul Farmer, if you're familiar with him. Uh, we actually just lost him uh, not that long ago. And his quote was this, Healthcare is not just a commodity to be bought and sold, but a fundamental human right and a social responsibility. The next quote is from Dr. Bob uh, Kocher. When patients, patients have skin in the game, when they are empowered to make choices, take ownership of their health, and actively participate in their healthcare decisions, they are more likely to achieve better outcomes. I think these quotes uh, together and certainly individually, they highlight the perspective, um, it, it, certainly by Dr. Farmer, that healthcare should not solely be viewed as a commodity or a consumer driven market, um, but again, as a basic human right and a collective responsibility to ensure the health and well being of individuals and community. You know, and it, it really emphasizes the importance of prioritizing equitable access. Uh, regardless of ability to pay, social and ethical dimensions of healthcare, really beyond consumerism. But I think what we are able to do, and I hope what this discussion can bring to the table, is an opportunity to bring those two dynamics together. Can they coexist? Are they diametrically opposed? Or can they exist in a way that um, they really build off of each other? Um, so you know, what is, let's start with a working definition of what is healthcare consumerism. Um, the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism, because there is such a thing, offers the following healthcare consumer, consumerism definition. Transforming an employer's health benefit plan into one that puts economic purchasing power and decision-making in the hands of plan participants. But what does this really look like in practice? Um, it differs from company to company, but tactics can include, you know, educational materials and information about benefits to, to make members more engaged and informed, offering financial incentives or rewards to encourage employees to make smart choices, like employer HSAs, uh, preventative care discounts, 
you know, free annual physicals, discounted telemedicine, uh, an increased focus on high deductible health plans is one tool. It's not the tool, uh, the only tool I should say, um, which really puts financial responsibility into the employee's hands directly. The ultimate goal in healthcare consumerism, um, according to the Institute, is uh, for consumers to be more informed about the healthcare decisions they're making and whether it's before they enroll in a health plan or before they go to the doctor, um, that's the aim. So what are the factors that have been driving healthcare consumerism? I think we, or at least some of us on the, the call and in the room would agree that rising healthcare costs have really uh, been at the forefront here. Employers spend about $1.2 trillion on healthcare every year. And that's uh, about 25% of that is total waste, according to the Journal of American Medical Association. Whether that's unnecessary treatment, administrative costs, lack of coordination among care providers. On top of that, you know, healthcare premiums are rising almost twice as fast as average wages. So I think, you know, simply put, the average American worker just can't keep up. And the biggest concern for employees when they choose their benefits often isn't their health, it's the cost. So healthcare consumerism has been one attempt to encourage smarter decision-making to contain those costs for both employers and employees alike. I think a second driver, um, and again, I don't think I'm alone in saying this, but the impact of COVID um, has profoundly impacted healthcare consumerism and really you know, engagement in, in the consumer or the patient's health. Um, much of this impact has actually been negative. Uh, you know, half of the employee, half employees are worried about their current financial situation with 44% um, during COVID being afraid of being furloughed or laid off, 40% saving less in retirement before, uh, than they were before the pandemic. Um, and many, you know, as we go into, uh, and this goes beyond COVID, but um, as we go into, what we anticipate to be a mild recession um, in probably Q3 or Q4 of 2023, you know, we're seeing budget cuts, job losses on the, on the horizon possibly. Um, and so uh, we likely have increased signs of consumerism in this, you know, more scarce resource environment, increased use of telehealth, um, et cetera. Um, the third factor has been a, you know, a lack of employee engagement at the outset, right? So, you know, I think uh, this statistic that I have is, is quite generous, but it's only 52% of employees, uh, according to a recent study, really understand their health benefits with 25%, uh, less than 25% knowing how health savings account works. Um, and when it comes to benefits enrollment, employees really aren't that much better. Um, you know, 50% of employees say choosing health benefits is very stressful um, at a time when we're all suffering from a tremendous amount of stress. Um, and that's largely because they're not getting the help they need from their employers. And we haven't been great as a society making healthcare literacy a real priority. Um, you know, less than 40% of employees receive guidance on their health benefits, um, and one in five say they want a lot more benefits education. 
So, you know, these trends haven't all been positive. And even though there's been a push for more healthcare consumerism, it hasn't necessarily helped people make better decisions in practice. And if anything, the financial pressure and very difficult to navigate system of benefits and care offerings have made it even more difficult for employers. So I'm going to play the contrarian a bit and, and talk about what I think that we've gotten wrong when it comes to healthcare consumerism. You know, consumerism in any form um, succeeds when people are empowered with good information to make good decisions and have support in making those decisions. But, you know, in healthcare consumerism, um, we have to, you know, empower people with good information. But unfortunately, we haven't really given employees much help. Uh, you know, it gained, healthcare consumerism has gained a lot of popularity in the insurance industry because um, it does have sort of a short-term um, cost uh, benefit uh, gain for the employer. And it prioritizes the short-term needs of the employers and sometimes the very interested parties that are their brokers and consultants. So, um, you know, all too often the focus has been finding ways to split the bill. You know, how are we going to take this healthcare dollar and, and who's going to have the most skin in the game? And, you know, all the while, the cost of the premiums and deductibles are rising faster than incomes and certainly companies' bottom lines. So to achieve the original goal of healthcare consumerism, um, I think employee empowerment is key, Right. Um, right now, we're asking employees to become year-round experts, um, not only on their benefits, but we're asking them to become experts in healthcare pricing, in, uh, you know, in machine-readable files, in data downloads, in transparency and coverage information, you name it. Um, you know, that's a lot to ask um, all of the professionals probably on this call. It's too much to ask. So certainly, it's too much um, to ask the average you know, working uh, American to become, you know, so, so well-versed in that to become a, an empowered consumer. Some other really alarming statistic, statistics, you know, 93% of your employees are defaulting to the same plan year over year, not necessarily because they're actively making a choice. It's because inertia is one of the most powerful things in healthcare and probably one of the most powerful um, impediments to change. 47% um, of employees only make changes to their benefits when they absolutely have to. Um, and this is including when there are cost differential, differentials that one would assume a rational actor would consider when making um, the decisions. Um, so what are some, you know, playing less of a contrarian, what are some benefits for patients, right? Uh, and now this is trying to sort of bridge the gap between Dr. Farmer's position on healthcare more as a social good and human right. And healthcare is something that we need to be, you know, engaged consumers on like any other commodity in the market. So benefits for patients would include increased patient engagement, right? It, en it encourages patients to be actively involved in their own healthcare, which is not just about cost, but it's, it's really about helping patients and people be knowledgeable and engaged in their healthcare decisions. And it leads to more informed choices and proactive steps to manage their health more effectively. And that's truly not a zero sum game. That is a win-win for all parties involved. You tend to have an enhanced patient experience, right? Patients with 
choices and control and agency over their healthcare options, it tends again to lead to better overall um, patient um, care and patient experience. And then finally, improved health outcomes. Um, you empower patients uh, to be actively engaged in their healthcare, and you know they become more proactive by doing things like getting preventative care, early detection of diseases, adherence to treatment plans, um, and you know again just improved health outcomes and better quality of life. From a provider perspective, um, and I think this you know these are. Um, you know, could be debated, um, and I'm really interested to hear the, the panel discussion on provider benefit to healthcare consumerism. Uh, you know, I think that it actually increases and emphasizes patient-centric care, um, which can lead to higher patient satisfaction with their providers. Um, when patients are involved in the healthcare decisions and have agency, um, they're more likely to be satisfied with the care they receive, right? You don't want things done to you. You want to be a partner with your um, with your provider and feel like you had a say in the care that you're receiving. Um, certainly, there's enhanced provider patient communication, which again can lead to better health outcomes um, with that shared decision making piece. And uh, while I usually shy away from using this term. Um, there is a greater focus on value-based care. And I say I'm hesitant to use the term value-based care. I'm big on definitions. I'm a lawyer by training. Um, you know, the, the meat of a contract is 90% of the contract is in the definitions, I, I used to say. Um, and I really think we need to do a better job in defining value-based care. But, you know, to the extent that we're talking about, you know, the basic uh, rubric of what we would um, sort of put in that category. Healthcare consumerism really emphasizes value-based care. You know, it focuses on delivering high quality care that provides the best outcomes at the lowest cost. And providers who adopt this approach are really incentivized to deliver efficient, cost-effective care that meets the patient's needs, both from a health perspective and a financial perspective. And then finally, the employers. Um, Number one, healthcare consumerism results in cost savings. It promotes transparency of healthcare costs. It enables employers to make more informed decisions about their benefits um, that they're offering to their employees. And so you get, you know, you can engage in better negotiations, better utilization management, and increased employee awareness of healthcare costs, which again, you know, they may not be paying, you know, out of pocket when they show up, but if, if, premium costs are going up in the double digits year over year. They're not seeing wages increase, but they are certainly seeing more come out of their paychecks for their benefits. Um, you know, and you, healthcare consumerism also allows employers to really offer a range of benefit options that can be customized to meet the really diverse needs and preferences of a workforce. Uh, this is really important right now to employers, right? We have a very unique labor market where uh, it's really hard to keep and maintain talent. Um, being, offer, being able to offer a customized benefit solution through healthcare consumerism um, really can lead to increased employee satisfaction, um, gives employees the flexibility to choose the plans that align with that individual's healthcare needs and their budget. Um, so there's really, you know, there's benefits along the sort of continuum um, uh, for employers, providers, members um, on a number of different ways. You know, 
going back to, again, we'll probably debate some of these points, but what are, what are the key arguments against healthcare consumerism or, or why it's not necessarily living up to its promise? You know, patients don't have access currently to the necessary information or expertise to make some of the really complex choices that we're throwing at them in healthcare. Um, we all know medical information can be complex and difficult to understand. Patients don't have access to data and quality outcomes. Um, you know, so, so if they're not making informed decisions, um, not because they don't want to, but because they don't have access to the right information um, in a really easy to use way, um, it's difficult to become an informed consumer. So they might make bad choices or choices based on incomplete or inaccurate information. Another, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, point in the other camp um, is does healthcare consumerism exacerbate healthcare inequalities, right? So when we're talking about something that's sort of reliant on the availability of information and not just information, but really good, high quality information, does healthcare consumerism exacerbate inequalities because not all patients have equal access to information or the resources to get that information or even the ability to navigate the healthcare system. So our vulnerable populations as we move in this direction, such as low income individuals or those with limited you know, literacy, certainly health literacy, um, face challenges in making these decisions and you know, could be at a disadvantage in a consumer driven healthcare world. This, you know, ultimately leads to unequal access to care and, you know, some being unable to afford or access necessary healthcare services because they don't know how to navigate that system because they don't have access to the information that we otherwise would hope we would have access to in a, in a you know, ideal universe. Um, so this is an interesting one, and I'm really, I, I, I hope to hear our provider's perspective on this, but fragmented care, right? So Healthcare consumerism certainly prioritizes individual choice and customization, but if done, um, you know, if not done in the in a seamless way, does it lead to fragmented care? When patients are encouraged to shop, right, for services based on price and convenience, would this, you know, does this ultimately result in a lack of continuity of care or coordination among different providers? I am of the opinion that it doesn't have to. Um, but I also am a realist and know that the infrastructure to have those things in place and make those pipes uh, sort of speak to each other so that the patient doesn't experience fragmentation, um, it exists, but it doesn't exist everywhere for everybody, uh, you know, see point number two on inequality. So disjointed, inefficient care, um, you know, and is there an increased administrative burden for patients that have to sort of navigate multiple providers and navigate multiple multiple billing and insurance systems, um, just something to consider. Uh, some have argued that, uh, you know, it puts cost over quality, right? Does healthcare consumerism prioritize cost as a primary factor in decision-making leading to a narrow focus on price rather than quality of care? Now, I, I have mixed feelings on this one. I, I think that um, certainly, uh, there should be awareness of cost and awareness of quality. Um, but I would argue that it's not a focus on cost over quality. 
what we're changing and what I've seen change is that we brought cost for the first time into the equation with some of the new transparency data and information we're getting. Because prior to you know, some of this new information coming out, we didn't focus on cost or quality, right? We focused on you know, who's the most reputable name on the building or who did Dr. Google tell me to go to or who's my, my best friend Sally Hughes. So, you know, I, the focus on cost over quality, I think sort of skips a couple steps because focusing on cost and or quality at all is a step in the right direction in my book. Um, are there ethical concerns? This is an interesting one. So healthcare is obviously a complex and sensitive field, and um, many, and this would mostly be on the provider side, argue that treating it as a purely consumer commodity can raise ethical concerns. Do you prioritize profit-driven decisions and market competition in healthcare um, when they conflict with ethical principles of providing you know, equitable and compassionate care to all patients, regardless of ability to pay or consumer choice? Um, again, I think this sort of misses several steps from where we currently are to a future state of a, of a purely commodity-driven um, healthcare market, uh, which I actually don't think we'll, we'll ever get to, nor should we aspire to. Um, but it is something to think about as we continue um, to sort of navigate and shape what healthcare consumerism can look like in the future for the better. And then finally, is there a lack of accountability in a healthcare consumerism model? So patients, the patients themselves are responsible for making their own healthcare decisions, they're managing their own care, um, and it can place a heavy burden on individuals. So and that's the argument. I would say um, that, again, we'll talk to the providers on the panel here, but um, in an ideal world, are the consumers partnering with their providers as opposed to navigating this um, system on their own? And is that a model of healthcare consumerism that exists um, that doesn't sort of leave the patient on their own accord, um, you know, in the wild west of healthcare? Um, you know, patients need uh, the necessary support and resources to navigate these complexities. Um, you know, and providers, if they do have limited responsibility for patient outcomes, um, does that result in gaps in care or a de decrease overall in healthcare quality? Again, I think those that take this position might be jumping ahead a bit um, because this presumes that there is accountability in our current model, right? So in a future state where healthcare consumerism might be more um, the, you know, the, the model, uh, the uh, presiding model, um, I don't think that we would be losing something here because right now um, providers have very limited responsibility, if any, for patient outcomes. Um, there are great gaps in care that we see, and there really is no accountability over, you know, for overall healthcare quality with providers. So this is almost, you know, when I hear this argument, I do, I do take issue. Um, but again, I'm open to debate here, but uh, it's sort of uh, stepping, you know, five steps ahead and pointing out flaws in, a, in an ideal healthcare consumerism model when they're not even sort of acknowledging the very real flaws that exist 
today. Um, so that's sort of the conclusion of my comments um, as a presenter. Um, and I really uh, appreciate your patience with my pontificating on healthcare consumerism and what I hope to be the future. But I think that if we take those uh, sort of those benefits and the things that sort of support this idea of healthcare consumerism as a model, and we also are cognizant of the potential pitfalls and arguments against and sort of guard against those as we're shaping the future, I think we can absolutely marry the idea of Dr. Farmer that healthcare, um, uh, you know, should be uh, considered, you know, sort of a right to get healthcare and whether that's affordable, um, affordable access or some other payment mechanism. But that idea that we all deserve quality healthcare, and and put it with the idea of Dr. Um, Kocher that. Uh, we need restoration of a functional market because what we have right now is anything but, and I, I don't even know if there's an apt word to describe what we have other than utter dysfunction. Um, you know, writ large, there are pockets of um, exceptions, but I think we can marry those things and I don't think it has to be one or the other. Um, and I hope we, uh, we have a really engaging discussion and aren't all um, completely on the same page because there's nothing like a good debate. So I'll turn it, um, well, I guess now as panel, I'll go ahead and start with questions or. Yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, thank you, uh, Chris Dickon. You are indeed a truth teller. Let's see some hearts in the room here, please. Yeah. Let's see hearts in the room. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, so what we will do is um, we'll have a sequence for the panelists uh, just because we have limited time, it needs to be somewhat ordered um, i'll call on dr roger first then we go to michelle kelly and david before we do that though let's look at we have 55 people in our within our listeners here let's get that up a little bit uh, click the three dots in the top right corner and let's share this room there's still enough time to bring in more people and it just makes uh, this so much more effective if we can get more people to hear this valuable information. I want to sh shout out uh, three people who shared the room previously. John Woodworth, thank you so much. Charles Clausen, thank you so much. And also, let's see, uh, Vivi Sadel, thank you so much. Uh, with that said, um, if you want to get a podcast notification, go to healthcarespeakerseries.com, healthcarespeakerseries.com, and uh, sign up to get those podcasts straight to your email. But now we will go to a practicing DPC physician. And I think there's been a lot of things said that probably intrigue you to make some comments. Dr. Roger? Hey, thank you, Shankar, and thank you, Chris. Um, as you were going over that that great summary, I I was just 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 kind of jumping out of my skin. I wanted to comment so bad, and there were so many wonderful things there to to comment on. So, um, I I'm going to share some things. Okay, as far as healthcare being affordable and Dr. Farmer and the the market, um. Healthcare is affordable. I am proving that um, as a primary care doctor in the DPC model, and I even testified to that effect 
in our state capitol in Austin in August. So I know that it's affordable. It's insurance that is not affordable in today's world. And then for the healthcare market, what we need to improve that market is transparency. So I think that's where the marriage can happen uh, between those two uh, concepts there. So in, it, I wanted to, to talk about some principles that will address a lot of the things that you mentioned. There's three of them. And then I wanted to talk a minute about the application of those things. And then I can talk about um, um, frequency of uh, fragmented care. So the principles I think that would be so helpful is number one, it value in healthcare starts in the room between the doctor and the patient. Another way to look at that is between the, the clinic and the company. Obviously I'm talking about direct care. So that's where, where so much value can start and, and patients can, can't navigate on their own complex health issues. So the other uh, principle that is so important and it's, it's way out of whack these days is the position of insurance. Insurance needs to be repositioned. People need to realize what insurance was designed for. It's not designed for like getting your oil changed or changing the tires, just like it's not designed to, to go get a, a sore throat taken care of or get your, your, your child seen when they get sent home with a fever. Insurance involved in that level makes insurance very expensive. You know, we don't have a copay when we go change the oil on our car. The third principle is transparency. And you talked about data here. This is a big issue now. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad it's, it's gaining priority on the political agenda because there's some progress that, that can be made there with helping our, our healthcare system. So now in application of those principles, in our model, we sit down and we take time with our patients. We give them access to us. I'm talking in general as a primary care doctor in a, a DPC model, which there's that, that movement is growing, which is a good thing. We give time to our patients. They access us so they don't have to go to the emergency room or higher level of care to, to get access for minor things. Another thing that we do is my clinic contracts with companies. It makes sense because we can provide so much value. I have a network in my area of where I can get imaging and lab at cost, um, at cost, and that helps. I have a network of specialists that I can lean on for direct pay options, which I've proven with some employers to save thousands of dollars on surgeries. So then along with, with that, when we're talking company to clinic, we need some savvy brokers 
or healthcare advisors who are truly working in the best interest of the one that the, the, of the company instead of being or working on the incentives of the bukas or the big carriers. Uh, so transparency there will will help. Um, the other thing I want to mention was about fragmented care because uh, you commented on that. If we can go back to some of these principles where the primary care doc is, is partnering with the patient, then the, the fragmented care is much less of an issue. You know, with the, the primary care docs kind of by nature, if the incentives are right, if, if they're not working for the insurance companies, can and will direct the care for those patients. I was at a, a meeting last year and, and I, I heard speaker after speaker talk about point solution for this, a point solution for that problem and this problem. And I was thinking to myself, we wouldn't need all of those point solutions if we just kind of restructured healthcare to start with primary care. In other words, um, provide access to a primary care doctor. Um, so it's, and you talked about provider accountability. Unfortunately, these days, most doctors are employees of a healthcare system. And that's a step away from provider accountability. By nature, we as doctors want to help people. I was talking to a doctor last night, in fact, and she's been working in the healthcare system for a while. And she actually told me that she's going to do mission work outside of her usual job, mission work being free, but she's doing that so she can get the feeling of being a doctor again. How sad is that, right? So, okay, I will, I will um, kind of step back and let some other panelists comment, but thank you so much for coming and bringing up these great points. It's great to be on this panel together with everybody. Thank you so much, Dr. Roger Mochigamba from San Antonio, Texas. Um, yes, I know we bring up a lot of good points here and really we have an hour. So the purpose of this beautiful platform here is that you go and connect with people that you resonate with. So Chris Deacon said something that is interesting. Roger, Dr. Roger Mochigamba said something that is interesting. Follow him or her and make sure you continue the conversation beyond this hour. Uh, we will now move on to uh, Michelle Di Stefano. Um, she is a registered nurse, a healthcare business consultant, and also a for former nursing executive. And Michelle, you always have good ideas. Um, so I am looking forward to hearing what you have to contribute. Just a brief reminder to the rest of the panelists to stay within time. We want to talk about four to five minutes so we can also take some questions towards the end. Uh, Michelle, what are some of the most effective strategies for managing healthcare costs? And also, what reactions do you, what comments do you want to make um, in pertaining to what's been said so far? Um, thank you, Shankar. It's a pleasure once again to be here. Um, you know, I have, I have a lot of thoughts because um, while I, I do, um, I'm very intrigued with the DPC model. Um, 
you know, from my perspective and what I've done in my entire career has not been in that model from managing outpatient and inpatient and um, both as a staff nurse and then also as an executive. And, um, you know, I, I guess my, some of my questions are to throw out, not that we have to answer this all right now, but the, what happens to those individuals in healthcare and healthcare consumerism as we're talking that are not employed, that are self-employed? Um, and, um, you know, they don't have employers that are being negotiated on, on a type of insurance plan. And I can speak recently that, my, well, I'm self-employed and my husband, who's a physician, a contracted physician um, here in San Antonio, um, was given, uh, was told that the, he was no longer employed and they would, you know, he had to subsidize our own health care for our family. And we had to hurry up and rush and find someone that was going to sell us health care. And then all of a sudden, I ended up getting sick, very healthy individual, <laughs> and then got sick and had all these premiums and everything. And thank goodness we could afford this, but most people can't. You know, all my deductibles out, out of pocket at first. So I'm probably going to take us in a slightly different direction of what I've seen throughout my, you know, 40 years now in, in this healthcare system that does appear fragmented and broken. And... Um, the real idea, we all believe that uh, there should be a, a navigator, a primary care doctor. I, I have that model right now. Um, I have to go through a primary care doctor before I see a specialist. That's how my insurance is set up. You know, but what I'm, I'm finding with most individuals, and, and, you know, I'm very knowledgeable about the healthcare system and also about my health, being a nurse, being married to a physician. Um, we kind of diagnose ourselves before we go toward the doctor right now. But the, the real issue is, is that there is fragmentation between all the providers. And that can be very tricky, particularly for the patient that's um, part of the system. Um, you know, if there's two, there's supposed to be one decision maker, the primary care, but then sometimes if it crosses over to a women's health issue, your OB-GYN um, comes into play, makes other recommendations. And, and, and particularly when you have the model that I do in my insurance, I always have to go back to my primary care, which is another step, which is a lot of time for me right now, um, navigating my own health care, even as, as a health care provider, as I said, married to a physician. So I do believe that that whole type of collaboration, the transparency between all the providers involved, because at some point there will be a specialist as we get older that you'll have to see, um, that you'll, you know, that, that you have to go to, there may be a surgery, those kind of things. So that's where I think the healthcare system is really flailing right now in figuring out those dynamics. Okay. Really, how does outpatient and inpatient connect? How do they communicate the plan of care? We still know that as many years that we worked on and perfected the EMR, um, electronic healthcare records, not always if the systems are not talking to one another in different clinics, that that information is not made as transparent as possible. So the client once again is, you know, the patient once again is reiterating their history over and over and over again, which can be frustrating. So that's one thing that I would really like, like to see take, regardless of what type of practice you're in, how does that coordination of care really start manifesting to the patient engagement that's needed and also to, to the patient um, experience? And those are my comments right now, because I, I have seen a very different perspective. I do have an inpatient perspective that's still, you know, the same, um, same type of collaboration. And, um, but I do think as we move forward with consumerism, I think we need to look at all the types of models and really start figuring out how that consumerism is going to work 
for the majority of those individuals, um, regardless of healthcare plan or type of clinic that they're investing in. Thank you, Michelle. As always, a very well-rounded perspective on everything and wise words. We're going to move on to uh, Kelly Pickett. Uh, Kelly, you are at the forefront of really when people decide that they need healthcare. Well, you are a healthcare insurance agent, but also a healthcare insurance specialist. And I know um, you have all kinds of different approaches and ideas. So, Kelly, um, what uh, can you share with us today? Yes. Hi, Shankar. Thank you, everybody, and thank you for the panel here today. These are some really great points that have been brought up. But again, like Shankar said, my heart and where I find myself is with the consumer. So I make it my mission to partner. So that's part of my philosophy that I, I go through. Because when you look at this whole question, we come back to knowledge and education. So how do you get that information if you're just a normal person, not in this industry, right? Even Michelle, who is, um, you know, a healthcare provider, she, you know, when posed with finding her own, you know, insurance, it's still very confusing and, and, and maybe, you know, choices are made based on bad information. So to get all that knowledge, I mean, and then like, Chris said, do we really expect all these people to know what all this means? Because it's, it's very difficult to understand. It's very hard to navigate. So that is where I, I find myself as a broker. Yeah, I find it as this is my job as a broker, my responsibility to facilitate and partner with my clients, to educate them to meet them where they are, right? Because there are deficits. How do people find this information? So I try to make sure that we're pushing information via social media. You know, whenever we have the opportunity to speak in front of groups, that we're making sure that they understand what it looks like and what their what the possibilities are and to look beyond what they see on TV. Um, and look beyond, because when you watch a commercial, are they going to do a commercial about the bad things? No, they're going to tell you about all the shiny, cool things that are part of their stuff. They're not going to tell you about that huge deductible that you're going to be subject to. They're going to tell you about, oh, look at, you know, look at all these great things. So I think that when I approach my colleagues or my clients, that I am making sure that I am advising them little bit by little bit in different, all different ways of how I touch them to make sure they understand what they're getting, understand what they could possibly add or take away to improve what they have financially or even giving them access to better quality of whether it's care or um, medication or um second opinions, whatever it is, we're giving them the information. We're also trying to push information out there to make sure that they know what to look for. You know, they know what is a pitfall. They know when someone's talking to them to think that hmm, maybe this guy or this person doesn't, isn't being on the up and up. So we're trying to educate them that way. And 
as was mentioned, you know, the fragmented care. This is what this lack of knowledge, this lack of trust with the insurance industry, and then trying to do it on your own causes that fragmented care, right? Because they don't know what all's out there. So in closing, I'd just like to say that I think a broker has a big role to play in consumerism. And it's going to be important for that broker to, or for the consumer to learn when they have partnered with a good person that has their best interest at heart. And once we're able to do that and make it easier to see the bad actors in our industry, then I think that they'll build a trust and I think that we can promote better education. We're not going to fix the problem by any means, but we can help make a difference. And that's what my goal is every day. When I, that's where my heart is. That's what my goal is. That's what I try to do is make sure that I'm creating the most informed client that I can. Thank so that's my comments. <laughs> thank you, Kelly. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, uh, connect with everyone again with whom you relate. LinkedIn is a platform for networking and your conversation can continue beyond this event. We'll move on to David Doro. David, you are a doctor program liaison and you talk to company owners and individuals here in San Antonio all kinds of questions come up and they all have to do with healthcare consumerism. So David, what are your observations today? Well, thank you, Sean Carr, for inviting me today. This has been a great discussion. I, um, I reiterate what Dr. Roger had said earlier about transparency. and take care of me and hope you don't go bankrupt on the way out with your checkbook. Um, but I think also in my lifetime, I think that the healthcare profession, when I was a young man, was probably the most trusted profession that we had. You could trust a doctor, a nurse, to absolutely do what's very best for you. And, and I believe that what's happened over the last 30, 40 years, um, it may be one of the most distrusted professions. And I think it's, it's been earned. We could spend the rest of the day talking about how that reputation has been earned. But I think that when you get a group of people together like we have today, um, you're looking at doctors and nurses and brokers and other people involved in the industry. The change starts with, with all of us. It starts with transparency, honesty, and doing what's best for the patients, not what's best for my commission or uh, uh, what's best for me to get a whole lot of patients through in a really short amount of time so I can bill for more. Um, I just think this it's a new day, and I think direct primary care is going to be one of the major players in, in re-earning that trust, so to speak. And I think there's organizations like uh, the FMMA, the Free Market Medical Association, which by the way, as a meeting next week. Um, that's also another organization where a lot of medical professionals and brokers and others, business professionals are coming together and pushing for uh, cash pricing, price transparency. Um, imagine clinics and hospitals that actually have on their website posted, if you've got to come in and have XYZ done, this is what it's going to cost you. I know that sounds impossible, 
but it is happening and I'm excited about it. So I do think it's a, it's a new day to begin to build trust and, and I'm very hopeful. That, that's all I've got. Thank you very much, David. So we've had some very patience, uh, patient people in uh, raising her, their hand, Charles and Nordia. Before we bring those people up, uh, is there any burning comment from the panelists that they need to get out before we bring people up on the stage? Um, no. Okay, we are all very, very ex uh, excited to get our first listener up. And I think it's mostly be because we, we want to see the interactivity here. Charles Clausen, dear friend, who has a lot to say about this topic, I know. Uh, bring you up, Charles, how are you today? When you come to stage, you have to unmute yourself first before you can speak. Uh, there you go. Got it, Shankar. Well, thanks for having me today. This has been a great discussion so far. You're welcome, Charles. So, um, Chris, I'd like to thank you for starting this, this dialogue and would just like to reiterate that the world has lost a great soul in Paul Farmer. He did more to help people um, that were underserved in Haiti and the rest of the world and probably anyone I know in healthcare. Um, so he's a beautiful man and has set an example for all of us to, buy, uh, to follow. I have two policy questions, but I just want to give you a little background on where I'm coming from. I'm, I was a medical device executive CEO for 21 years, and I'm a, um, a member of Abundance 360, which Peter Demondis leads. Um, a big part of what we talk about is human longevity and regenerative medicine. And in the next 10 years, there's many exciting things that are going to eradicate diseases, allow people to get new organs printed. but. My, my moonshot as a member of Abundance 360 is to find a way to reduce healthcare delivery costs in the United States by 50% in the next 10 years and providing high quality care to everyone. Um, so in the short term, we have two problems. One, we have a crisis in rural America about um, a number, the number of doctors. So question one is what can we do to um, make a either a national or an international licensing uh, certifying protocol where any doctor that passes the, the protocol or the test can practice medicine in any state in Iowa or any country in the world. But maybe we should just make it simple and say the United States. The second one um, involves patients and, and a, a secure patient, maybe blockchain record that has from birth to cradle, everything about that patient, every blood test, their um, DNA profile, um, and every exam they've ever had in a, in a format that any visit, anyone can get access to it with patient approval. Because without digitizing the individual uh, healthcare record, it's hard to leverage the machine learning and AI to really provide tools to help physicians and nurses and care providers really drive down the cost of delivery, reduce errors, and improve healthcare. So those are really the two things. Um, how do we get some policy changes where we can start 
digitizing information and also making doctors more mobile where they can practice anywhere they meet the credentialing criteria. Chris, I'm glad we have you here for this amazing question for uh, about policy. <laughs> Charles, I muted you and uh, Chris, you have to unmute yourself to react to this. My apologies. <laughs> No problem. We can hear you now. Oh, okay, great. Sorry about that. I got uh, uh, called away for a moment dealing with a, a prescription uh, issue with my son. There's prescription shortages in the country, so we're trying to source medication um, every month in a very difficult fashion, so I have to pick up the phone when they call. Okay, so, so I apologize. No, no problem. I think... I'm just going to simplify one question then, uh, mm -hmm. at least the way I perceived it. Uh, what needs to happen policy-wise to maybe institute a um, legal framework where electronically physician throughout, physicians and other healthcare providers throughout the United States can capture document and share information so that we get out of this situation where we have to do things over and over again, and we cannot leverage AI technologies to uh, discover patterns that help us bring down the cost of healthcare. Yeah, I think it's a great question, and it's not a, a one policy fix. But generally speaking, the issue here is that you know we know the technology exists, we know the AI exists, and you know the saddest part is we know that the resources exist to accomplish what we need to do to achieve the future state that we're all talking about. The, the chief impediment to getting to that future state is that all of those resources and all of that technology is being funneled into a system that leverages those things for things that aren't in the benefit of the, the population or the patient, right? So if you look at um, you know, how AI is being leveraged by hospitals today, is it being leveraged in a clinical manner for some, you know, some clinical pathways? Perhaps. What is it most being leveraged for? Increasing revenue maximization. How do I increase um, you know, how I'm engaging with patients in order to decrease my accounts receivable? Like I see these things in the revenue cycle management you know, webinars and blogs, this is how the technology is being deployed. And this is how the resources are being prioritized within our major institutions. And so we need to think about what policies we can put into place to change the way um, that we think about and are incentivizing our, you know, our, these charitable nonprofit institutions that are largely you know bankrolled by public funds um, or or member and patient and employer funds um, how we take that and and use those resources to actually benefit the folks that we intend intended those dollars um, you know to be uh, invested in Thank you. Yeah, definitely not an easy feat, but uh, there is a plan that we can all work on. And it, again, I think talking about it, making people aware of it 
having policymakers and also technologists uh, that are passionate about that, like Charles Clausen, will get us a step further uh, towards that goal. I need to move on to uh, Nordia Brown, whom I brought to stage, uh, health education coordinator at Johnson & Johnson. Uh, Nordia, uh, unmute yourself. What is your question? Nordia, you need to unmute yourself first with the tapping the microphone button, please. All right, Nordia, while you figure that out, we'll bring up the next uh, speaker or audience member here, uh, Rob. Rob Hodes or Hodes, uh, what is your question? Well, um, so my question is, and this is a great discussion on healthcare, but no one's talking about the cost of prescriptions. And that, you know, it's great, it's great that the that, that diabetes medication, you know, has a flat copay for some people now. But, you know, as a person who works for an insurance company, uh, who, which I won't name, um, um, the cost of inhalers is what puts most people in the coverage gap for their pharmacy insurance. And so... I'd like to see my bucket list would be would be to see a cost a cost cap on on the cost of in of in of inhalers because that is is I'm not I'm not saying that you know pharmacy companies you know who make them should you know should um, you know it is it is capitalism however. However, uh, we've been talking about um, about you know the patient experience basically, and that's a big part of the patient experience is the cost of these things that people need to live, and 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 also educating people. There's a lot of people that I talk to are like Medicare people, and they and they and they put their head in their sand uh, when it comes to the cost of their healthcare and. Why is such and such more expensive? And so, so there's no easy solution, um, or there's the people don't want to educate themselves. So I don't know what the what what the solution for that is, but that that is a big a big thing. But I think the inhalers. The inhaler cost is even bigger. What are other people's thoughts on that? Okay, thank you, Rob. Uh, before we answer that question, I want to say uh, we have a lot of people that need to stick to schedules, uh, probably also our guest speaker. So I do understand if you need to uh, leave the, the room now, please do that if you have commitments. Um, but now, who wants to take this uh, question that uh, Rob brought up? Just unmute yourselves and uh, react to it if you have uh, a, a, an answer or a comment. Okay. 
nobody that probably means that it's epic, uh, that is a, a, a good problem statement and that there's not an easy answer to that so the fact that you brought it up is a good thing rob it brings awareness to something that needs to be worked on um so definitely thank you for that comment i see it almost looks like Chris Deacon wants to speak. Her uh, green circle is around, but I cannot hear you, Chris. Uh, sometimes... That was an accident. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay, no problem. All right, um, I think we have unfortunately come to the end of our event here. Again, I know this is a a conversation that uh, brings up emotions and that we are very interested in continuing, but it doesn't have to stop here. Uh, again, follow each other, send each other messages and continue the conversation. That is really what I hope to achieve with this room. Uh, furthermore, just as a, as a plug for myself and my company, if you or your organization are interested in hosting one of those rooms, uh, as you can see, very effective, um, and you don't know where to start, please reach out to me. Uh, we can help you uh, get situated. We can help you produce a podcast. Uh, for now, I just want to really, really, really thank you for our panelists here up on stage, Chris Deacon, Dr. Roger Mochigamba, um, Kelly Pickett and uh, David and Michelle, who already had to leave. I know that you could have been anywhere. Your time is valuable. Same goes for the people that joined us on, on stage, Charles and Rob and uh, Nordia.